see it all the way through the Iron Curtain, through Yugoslavia and Bulgaria, to first Istanbul, and then, of course, down to Gallipoli. Alone, long before visiting these battlefields had become something of a rite of passage for many young Australians, I wandered around, awestruck at the savagery of the terrain, how the cliffs rose all but straight from the shore, how the trace of the trenches meandered in parallel lines, so close together, how some of the gullies they'd fought in and for looked rather more like abysses to my eyes. Standing on the beach below the spot known as the Sphinx, I noticed a great deal of erosion in the landscape all around, and wondered about it until I suddenly realised. That was not mere erosion. It was the scars of thousands of artillery shells hitting those hills. At Lone Pine Cemetery, amid all the gravestones marked with such words as duty nobly done, he died in a far country, fighting for his native land. A mother's thoughts often wander to this sad and lonely grave. I noted an epitaph that quite shocked me, going something like, died in a foreign field, and for what? Coming back from the battlefield towards the nearest town, Gallipoli itself, I gave three hitchhiking Turkish workers in blue overalls a lift up to the next town, and though the language barrier between us was insurmountable, I was a tad amazed that they seemed extremely friendly, even after I identified myself as, steady fellas, steady, an Australian. Would I be so hail-fellow well met with someone from a nation that had come to my shores and killed 90,000 of my countrymen? No. I returned home to Australia, proud that I had made my pilgrimage to sacred soil, and then embarked on a journalistic career, covering many subjects, but always with an eye out for Anzac Day stories. I was particularly stunned by the reaction I received to a yarn I wrote about a cricket match played on the shores of Gallipoli, even while Turkish shells were bursting all around. Letters, phone calls, people stopping me in the street, expressing their wonder at the diggers' bravery. Many years on, stories of Gallipoli were still striking so many chords with the Australian people you could play an anthem to it. In the late 1990s, for no reason I can think of, I suddenly started taking my kids to Anzac Day services in town. In April 1999, I was in my car heading down Sydney's Market Street, about to turn left onto Sussex Street, to the Sydney Morning Herald building, when some highbrow historian on ABC radio used the phrase, when the Australians invaded Turkey at Gallipoli. Invaded? Such an ugly, aggressive, non-reverential word. Yes, I suppose technically Gallipoli was on Turkish soil, even though it was Gallipoli, and strictly speaking, if you wanted to really get pernickety about it, our blokes didn't really have the Turkish blessing to land on their shores. So, if your measure was hoity-toity historical, then it just possibly could be construed as an invasion, so long as you put some monster quotation marks around it. But it sat very uncomfortably with me, and was the first time I had been obliged to think of the whole idea of the landing on Gallipoli shores in less than holy terms. But the more I thought about it as the years passed, 
the more I drifted into a rather more sober view. To open my 2004 book on Kokoda, I quoted the words of Paul Keating shortly after, as Prime Minister, he famously kissed the hallowed ground in New Guinea in 1992. The Australians who served in Papua New Guinea fought and died not for defence of the old, but the new world, their world. They died in defence of Australia and the civilization and values which had grown up there. That is why it might be said that, for Australians, the battles in Papua New Guinea were the most important ever fought. Now that resonated. After all, I would occasionally note in after-dinner speeches when feeling brave, at Gallipoli they fought for England and lost. At Kokoda they fought for Australia and won.